Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. They say Brigham Young was not perfect and he did things that were not great. And we're like, yeah, like blood atonement where he's encouraging people to slit other people's throats so that they can be saved. Uh, Not great. It's not a great thing. Anytime they do anything that might seem unsavory or that sounds kind of bad, you're like, well, they're imperfect. They never claim to be perfect. Oh, my gosh. You may as well be just in Mormonism because it's exactly the (laughs) same. Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola, and this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're only listening and you want to see our faces, go to our YouTube channel. We'll also probably put some photos up on the screen for this one. And like and subscribe and do all the things and give us your suggestions on people that you want to see on the show. If we use them, we will shout you out in the comments. Today's episode is kind of a part two on an episode we previously released this week on the similarities between Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. So I have here with me, back at it again, thank you for joining us, Jake with Altworldly. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. We started talking about the doctrine and, I mean, we have this huge long list of things that are similar between our two cults, as we put it in the first video. Don't get triggered. Go watch the first video. And we realized there was so much to talk about that we needed to split this up. So we are back again. The first video, we talked all about the doctrine and the theology. This video, we're going into the cultural differences, the way that they used mind control, emotion control, all of those things to manipulate its members into staying. So with that, do you have anything you want to add before we begin? No, Shalise prepared this like amazing document with all these bullet points and we got to the first like two in the last <laughs> video because there's a lot like and the more we talked, we just would be like, oh, that reminds me of this. That reminds me of this. So yeah, the 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 similarities, there, there are a lot of them. There are a lot. So I think what we want to start with is the obvious one as far as the expectations from the members being to proselytize, spread the word, and join or get people to join the church. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that is the obvious one. The the door knocking of it all. And what's funny is one thing that we would do uh is as Jehovah's Witnesses, if somebody asked if we were there to get them to join our religion, we would say, no. <laughs> say no, we're just studying the board, we're presenting a positive message from the Bible. We 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 conduct free home Bible studies, even though obviously yes, the the purpose of the ministry is to baptize and make disciples. Right. So it was to, and not of whatever church you feel like. It was to baptize them as Jehovah's Witnesses and get them to start preaching as well. Did you guys uh, have any dodges if people would ask you stuff like that? Oh no! Very straightforward. Like we are here. Okay, I, that's what I. We are here to spread the word of the Lord and to introduce you to the one true church on the planet. And I recently learned from my episode with Brooke that they send kids out to do this stuff. I did not know that. Oh yes. Did you do that as a kid? Oh yeah. I mean, my earliest memories are being in a car 
out in the field ministry, the the door to door work. And um, I grew up in a. So I, I I live in Ohio, and I grew up in rural Ohio. So, um, Jehovah's Witnesses they they make territory maps. You know, they they will take a section of uh, a city, divide it up to the congregations in the area, and say you you preach to this area mm-hmm. of town. We're going to preach to this area of town, so that it's <clears throat> covered all, all the world over. So long, long car rides in in rural Ohio. You know, driving miles between houses. And then when we moved to the suburbs, that was the first time I really had to like go door to door. And it was the winters. We would be outside, bundled up, walking to doors. Your knuckles are cold. Your ears are cold. And, you know, nobody wants to listen (laughs) to somebody coming to their door (laughs) trying to tell them about Jesus. It's not a very appealing proposition uh, in the best of circumstances, let alone when it's it's cold outside, when you don't want to let the air conditioning out if it's hot outside. So yeah, definitely as a kid, all the way up until a couple of years ago, did a lot of door knocking in my day. Okay. Whereas with Mormons, as I understand, it's 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 kind of temporary. It's temporary, but I will also say it's a full-time job. So you can't do anything else yeah. but that. So I don't know what would be worse, doing it your entire life or spending like almost 24 hours a day doing it for two years straight. Because I, I did an episode with my cousin Keely and her mission, and it was the tragic side of a Mormon mission where she was just completely neglected medically mm. and ended up having to come home with medical issues because they just don't take care of their people very well. And these are missionaries that have to pay their own money to be out. So they they pay the church to go and recruit people. It's the most brilliant uh, sales scheme out there. I don't know any other company that can have someone else pay them to do work. But yeah, yeah, it is only for two years. For girls, it's a year and a half. And just like Jehovah's Witnesses, they do actually section off. I think they call them zones. So mission mm. missionaries are given a zone to go preach to, and they get kind of shuffled around throughout their time there. But it is only for that period of time and for missionaries. So you go, they lowered the age of it used to be, uh, it used to be 19 for men and 21 for girls. And then they lowered it because they were losing a lot of people to college and sinning. So now it's 18 for boys and I think 19 for girls. Correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. I think it's 19 for girls. So yeah, they're really pushing these kids to go out. And it's tricky because they send them out very ill-equipped. They, especially the ones who are raised in the religion, they just know what they've been taught. They they haven't done deep dives. They haven't <laughs> looked into the history of the church. And they send them out just like, good luck. Go convince these people that you're right and they're wrong. And most people who have a basic understanding of Mormonism, they're like, oh, yeah, it's the guy that made up the church. And they know a lot more <laughs> about Mormonism than Mormons do because of the information control, which is something that I definitely want to touch on today. So do you have anything else to say about the the proselytizing or should we move on? The, the only thing about it is that it is the thing when you're a witness that uh, you need to be doing to be considered a member. You fill out 
a time report every month with the amount Whoa. of hours you worked, the amount of publications you placed, videos you showed. You turn it in to uh, your congregation overseer. They then submit it to the branch, and it's it's all totaled and everything. So if you don't report any time for, I think it's six months, you are considered inactive, inactive, and, and you're no longer you know, considered a member, really. Even Whoa. if you're not disfellowshipped, uh, you are... You are not, cons- you know, you're on shaky ground survival-wise when Armageddon comes if you are not actively preaching. Um, now, for witnesses, it's not always just door-to-door. You know, you can count if you are talking to your coworker about witnesses, you, you can count that time too. But the the primary way it's still done is, is door-to-door and now maybe some more letter writing and, and phone witnessing and standing at the literature displays on on street corners but yeah it is keeping you busy uh is is one of the primary functions and i think the primary function of it at this point for witnesses is not to really try to convince anybody especially not in the west where it's it's unappealing uh the, the messages of it are unappealing anybody can google you you know two seconds after you've left their door and be like oh yeah no i don't want to go to this church um but what it does do is it makes the members feel incredibly isolated you know you have this really awkward experience of going out trying to talk to people and then slamming doors in your face and that makes you feel very ostracized from the world and very close to the only people who understand what you're Mm. going through which are going to be your fellow members of the congregation so i think that the primary purpose it really serves now is to keep current members indoctrinated you're constantly repeating these things over and over as you preach them and it also just makes you feel like the world really is an inhospitable cruel place that uh doesn't have any place for somebody like you so that i would say is the the main function of the ministry frankly i don't i don't know that hardly anybody is really converted because somebody knocked on their door and gave them a magazine yeah a few things there every time you say something i'm like oh i gotta bring up all these points that are the same um (laughs) The first being numbers are incredibly important to Mormonism, where mm-hmm. you have to like they give you quotas and they it causes members to do things that they don't want to do, like baptizing kids who don't really know what's going on, especially in different countries. And so that's the first thing is the numbers game. The second thing is you said it's absolutely required for membership. And they will tell you in Mormonism that a mission is voluntary. However, they just recently came out with something, someone giving a talk to the youth saying, you know, of course you have your free will, but you actually gave up your free will when you were eight years old, when you were baptized. So you don't actually have a choice. You do have to go on a mission because they're losing so many missionaries that they're getting desperate. (laughs) And the other thing is absolutely they have even stated this that missions are to convert the missionaries more than converting other people. Mm -hmm. You get these kids who are 18, 19, they haven't really been in the real world yet. They send them out with these militant schedules where they're up at six earlier if they're supposed to exercise and then they proselytize all day. They don't get home till 10. They have little to no sleep, little to no food because they don't have enough money to buy food. It's really... Abuse, and some people will say, and you're constantly being, you know, monitored by your, your companion, your buddy. Yeah, you I have understand. to have your companion with yeah. you at all times, unless you're in the bathroom. Right. 
I can't speak to it personally because I didn't go on a mission, but some people will say it was the best experience of their lives. Other people say it was the worst experience of their lives. Of course, there's going to be a range between all of those, depending on where you go, who who your leaders are, uh, if you get sick, if you don't get sick. All of those type of things are, of course, going to influence the mission. But at the base of it, at the core of it, they I believe from what I've read, seen, heard, they don't take care of their missionaries in the way that they should, especially seeing is that they're they're paying to go and the church has billions of dollars that they could use to support these people who are going out on their behalf. <sighs> Long-winded statement, but I feel very passionately about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's good. And I it also speaks to the unpaid labor. Um which I, I'm sure we'll get to more in detail later. Absolutely. We're going to get to the unpaid labor. But first, let's talk about being worthy to go on a mission, which means I want to talk uh, about all these fun little rules. No sex, no masturbation. That's I'm speaking for Mormonism, but I see you nodding. So I think it might be true in all cases. You can't be homosexual uh, or if you are gay, then you cannot act on it. So they say, no, no, no we accept gay people. But you can't ever kiss someone of the same sex or you can't hold hands. That's wrong. You'll be punished. You will be punished almost just as harshly as someone who is in a, quote, regular straight marriage or straight relationship Mm -hmm. if you have sex. So if I were to go right now, I'm sitting because I'm living with my fiance and uh, we have sex. Spoiler alert. And. I <laughs> what exclusive scoop. I'm not a virgin. <laughs> Go watch the XML X video. Um <laughs> I would be punished the same amount as my gay bestie who makes out with another guy. And that's not okay, in my opinion. I don't think that's okay. So are those the same type of rules that you have? Yeah, very much so. Um and these are, you know, still in you from the time you're very young, if, mm-hmm. you're, if you're raised in it. Uh, so I remember being, uh, you know, a, a teenager and uh, – or probably a preteen and getting the talk from from my dad, you know, the, the birds and bees. Mm-hmm. Except there was, there was no birds and bees. What there, what there was was a lot of Watchtower publications laid out. No. <laughs> and my dad would read – passages and you know as he would explain of course sex which i understood fine because i grew up in the age of the internet and i you know had friends at school and uh but he also you know that's where i first learned what masturbation was and why it's wrong Mm. and that was interesting because i realized like oh that's a thing i'm already doing and i thought (laughs) whoops why did they say it was wrong I just thought like, oh, wow, I found this really great thing that my body can do. How how convenient that this can just happen, (laughs) you know, at any point I want. Yeah. And then to learn like this is actually very bad and it it makes God sad, actually, Mm. if you do stuff. Because he wants you to save it for for marriage. Um, So, you know, I, I think what's tough to articulate to people is just the kind of intense amount of guilt and shame you feel a lot uh, definitely on a daily basis as a member especially or even as as a little kid and as you go through puberty 
because it is not just the doing of the thing that is bad, it, it is thinking about it. Uh, Jesus said that he who commits adultery in his heart, it's just as bad as actually doing it. Yeah. So if you are having fantasies, you know, if your mind wanders during class, if you can't sleep at night and you're horny and you don't know what to do, you know, you just feel shameful and you're praying to help you know, for, for this cosmic entity to stop you from, from beating it. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, you know, it, it is a cosmic weight of responsibility that you don't think about sex, 13-year-olds. Don't think about the only thing you think about. Yeah. It's the sex, it's the purity culture, which is not – specific to just Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. It's it's right, usually yeah. any um Christian based, actually not even just Christian based. It's everywhere. <laughs> Purity culture has permeated every place in the world. Yeah, it really has. Uh, I think that there is a real last gasp from conservative uh groups to, you know, just really try and cling on to this purity culture mm-hmm. because they feel like if they lose that, then they've, they've lost everything. So I, I hear it all the time, you know, from uh, especially like even like right wing political thought leaders who don't identify as religious. They will uh, think Jordan Peterson is somebody who preaches the importance like of forced monogamy because he thinks that in an ideal society, everybody would be assigned a mate so that everybody's horniness is under control, oh. you know, especially men, which is his focus. So it really it has transcended uh, all this, uh, any overt religiosity. It is now just kind of like, yeah, I think that there's a really strong movement towards kind of this 1950s ideal of American family really wanting to try and make that come back. Yeah, you actually mentioned this in our previous video about the standards of dress, just about where it came from, because it's like right. the 1950s housewife thing. And that's something that I say all of the time when it comes to Mormonism. It is like they are stuck in the 50s with the sexism and the racism and the modesty and just like the weirdest things where we're like, move on already. <laughs> Can we move yeah, on? Yeah, and... If, if I can plug one video on my channel that I, I wish got more views, and it's w- probably my favorite video because I have almost nothing to do with why it's good. <laughs> I had a, a panel of, of XJW women on talking about their experiences growing up with it. And, you know, whatever kind of pressure I felt is just so much more turned up to 11 when you're a woman in the organization. Because realistically, when I was growing up, you know, now they really crack down on like tight suits and stuff for for men in the organization they're very concerned about androgynous or what they i guess would be what we consider like queer coded clothing you know anything that's just not overtly <laughs> heterosexual you're wearing a polo shirt and khakis is, is considered promiscuous but when i was growing up that wasn't really that big of a concern for women you know it, it is so much more like you have to take into consideration are you showing your cleavage? Are you showing too much leg? Are your arms, <laughs> you know, how men love arms. So we're, we're loving those arms. Um, and it's all too key. <laughs> the, the thing that's really gross and weird about it is that it's all stated to be like, you don't want to make somebody else's struggle harder. Yeah. You could make somebody else stumble. Joe's witnesses love this word stumbling. 
comes from their version of the Bible. And it's like, you could, you know, you know, maybe some brother is, tr- is struggling with trying to remain morally pure, but because of your, uh, promiscuous clothing now you've given him impure thoughts and that's your fault i (laughs) hate that so much i cannot (laughs) tell you how much i hate that it i think it's emasculating to men to say you have no control over your thoughts like give them some credit it is you know there's all these like men's rights uh, activist movements which are really ridiculous and stupid and it's it's kind of hard to articulate to men that you know the the patriarchal structures that you live with like are damaging you too mm-hmm. it's these standards of what it means to to be a man that's that's all coming from the same place and it's it's equally dehumanizing in a way but of course it <laughs> puts all the onus on women to you know make sure that they're dressing properly to the point where you know little girls have to worry about this in yeah. the organization like little ki- kids Little kids who are like 11. It's like, well, you know, don't show too much, you know, cleavage 14 year old. And it's like, well, isn't it the fall of the creepy old elder man who's staring at some teenage girl's cleavage? Doesn't that say more about him, perhaps? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really gross. I, I have firsthand experience with this going up. Uh, this is a really specific tangent, but one thing that witnesses who watch this will will enjoy this aside <laughs> we used to put on before we had movies uh that Jehovah's witnesses made we would put on stage productions at our yearly conventions that we would call them dramas <laughs> and it would be like putting on a local theater show and so you put on your bible costumes and and all this stuff and sometimes they would do modern day ones but the modern day struggles of witnesses and so but it was a big deal because it would be seen by, you know, thousands of people at a convention center. So we had uh, – our family was in this drama about the struggle of modern-day witnesses. And we had to have the women leave at a certain point so that the men who were the overseers of the convention, you know, making sure that everything goes right. They're coming and they're monitoring our performance, almost like a dress rehearsal. And they're talking about, like, I think that her – you know, her her buttocks is just too prominent in this dress. Can, can she wear a bigger dress so that it's not, you know, hugging her features quite so much? And, you know, these are things that are, you know, married old men are saying, just, you know, closely examining, almost like looking to try and get uh, to see what they can get offended by <laughs> just by women's dress and grooming. It's, so this is stuff that just from the lowest part of the totem pole all the way up, you are just being monitored all the time for a mistake. Yes. What's funny about all of this is that for someone who claims that you should stay away from sex, they are so sex obsessed. Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, they're so obsessed with sex. Like, stop talking about it. Just let people do what they want to do. It's not that big of a deal. Just teach them how to do it safely. Teach them how to how to ask for consent. Don't expect abstinence only. If you want to abstain, great. If you don't want to abstain, great. Do you? Like, stop being so obsessed. And side note, Mormons also do stage productions. I uh, went and saw one. There's a (laughs) in Nauvoo. One of their main temple. I think it was their first temple. Actually, I should know this. Nauvoo. No, Nauvoo. Oh, like Naboo's from Star Wars. The, no, it's the Nauvoo Temple. And I went there once with a friend who was super Mormon in like fourth grade. And we dress as pioneers. And there's like pioneer type <laughs> food. And there's 
square dancing and big productions put on about like the history of the church. Anyway, so Mormons love the theatrical stuff as well. And okay, what else is I going to say? So we talked about the modesty. Oh, I wanted to bring up the fact that they also tell Mormons that they are walking pornography if they're showing their shoulders, which guys, like why are Ugh. we sexualizing body parts that shouldn't be sexualized? And that just goes back to stopping so sex obsessed. Shoulders, though. It's not that serious. Like even culture in general over-sexualizes things. I'm going to say American culture in general because when you go to other places mm -hmm. in the world, a body is just seen as a body like, oh, those are boobs. We're not going to change the rating of the movie because sex is normal. We're going to change the rating of the movie because right. there's violence, which is not normal. So it's very backwards in the States. Everything is overly sexualized and women can't just be feminine, beautiful goddess women owning their sexuality without being called a whore. So I have very strong feelings about that. Uh, do you have anything to add about modesty? Well, it, it's it's actually a good transition into talking about kind of rules. And what it makes me think of is like the self-policing that you're kind of constantly doing. Like witnesses are obsessed with sex. And so, you know, you're you're going to the meetings <laughs> Uh, which is what they call their their church services. They just call them meetings. But you go to the meetings and, you know, if I was going to some random church as a kid, I probably wouldn't have heard quite so much about pornography and how much I shouldn't watch it. You know, and it probably wouldn't have occurred to, it wouldn't be for, for, uh, front of mind all the time if I wasn't constantly being told, you know, three times a week, like, you, you remember porn? Just really don't think about it, Okay. <laughs> We're talking, we got a 15-minute part planned on why you shouldn't think about elephants. <laughs> you know, it's just – it's the thing from Inception. You tell somebody not to think about elephants, they think about elephants. Yeah. And it, it kind of creates this thing where <laughs> you're constantly telling people to monitor their own dress and grooming. So, of course, they're going to be monitoring everybody else's dress and grooming. And it creates this very judgmental culture. But that's just happening all the time with everything, whether or not it's related to sex. So it's like, is this person – in the ministry enough? Are they commenting in meetings? Are they late? Are they too much of a suck up? Are they not striving enough for like enough privileges? You're just kind of constantly examining everybody to see if they are living up to a spiritual standard mm -hmm. because you're supposed to base your friends off of people who are, you know, good, good Christians as, as they would define it. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I, I know is not unique to our group. How does that kind of thing manifest with, with the Mormons? When it comes to self-policing? Yeah, just kind of like constantly eyeing each other. For, oh, the for judgment. All that stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would say even more than self-policing, it's turning other people in. Um, BYU literally has a program where you have to tell on your roommates if they came home late, if they missed curfew. And that could actually get them <laughs> expelled from college. Like they could get kicked out of college and they encourage this. In fact, um, I've heard episodes on other podcasts where let's say a roommate doesn't go and tattle on their other roommate. Someone else tattles on the roommate and then they come to you and say, why didn't you turn your roommate in? And then you could get in trouble. So yeah, yeah, you could get in trouble for not tattling. Yeah, yeah. it's really <laughs> messed up as, as far as the whole like, don't judge others and do as Jesus would do. It's like, you should actually try that out because they can be some of the most judgmental people. 
Now, I don't want to say everybody is. I have wonderful friends who are Mormon and they are not judgmental, but it's rare. Yeah. For the most part. And it's not their fault. It's because they're taught to be judgmental. They're taught to look at me like a sinner in California who is like posing in swimsuits and being an actress. Like they're taught to judge me for that because if they don't have righteous judgment, I'm doing air quotes if you're not watching, if they're not taught to have righteous judgment, they could, uh uh-oh, associate with me and that could affect their salvation. So that gets into the isolation of members and how they do everything in their power to keep them in this bubble so they don't go looking at information that they shouldn't be, so they don't associate with people who are living normal lives And it makes them afraid to leave. So should we dive into the isolation part of it? Yeah, isolation. So there's a a few things that can happen. Um, You can be disciplined for a lot of different reasons, obviously. There there are a lot of rules. And what's fun about witness leadership is they often will say, we're not an organization that makes a bunch of rules. (laughs) And then you look at the secret elders handbook that you get when you're an elder and it is just rules, 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 (laughs) rules that not everybody in the congregation is even aware of uh, because you only get this book if you're an elder. Uh, And I think everybody knows if you're a witness that there absolutely are rules. You you can self-isolate if you just don't identify with certain things and are, you know, you can internalize these uh, these rules against yourself and start to see yourself as a really bad person spiritually. And you just feel like, I got to get right with Jehovah. I, I'm not in a good place. And so you kind of isolate yourself. And that happens a lot. Just people drifting away or isolating because they, they just don't feel like they can live up to the standard. And then you can also be disciplined. And there are a couple of tiers of discipline. You can be reproved uh, either privately or publicly, like with an announcement in the congregation. And being reproved means that everybody knows that you're in trouble, but they don't know why. Mm. And usually you have some some privileges of service taken away. That would be a phrase they would use. So like maybe for six months, you're not allowed to comment at the meetings. Uh, you know, the meetings of Joe's Witnesses are very like participatory and question and answer, but you might not be able to comment because Whoa. you've had your privileges restricted. And so you will be there and people will know that something is up, but they won't know what. And they also will watch their association with you. The idea of association and bad association mm-hmm. is very common to witnesses. So if you hear that somebody is reproved, on one hand, it's a signal for you to, oh, I should try to encourage this person to be more spiritual. At the same time, you're less likely to invite them to a get together because you don't want to invite the spiritually dangerous person. Right. So that happens. And then there's just straight up disfellowshipping, which is shunning, which we, we could get into later. But yeah, that's, that's what I think of when I think of isolation. Yeah. Actually, we can get into it now because we have the same discipline. It's, Basically along the same line. So if I go into the bishop and I say, Bishop, I am living with my fiance. And he says, <laughs> right. okay, Shalise, you will be uh, disciplined, meaning you can't go to the temple for, let's say, one year, which is a big deal because as a Mormon, if you don't go to the temple, that means you're not getting into the highest level of heaven. You might get into like the mediocre level of heaven because doing yes. your your covenants or getting your covenants and doing the temple work is part of a requirement to get to heaven. So that's a big deal immediately. It's like gatekeeping. And 
as part of that. Pearly gatekeeping. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> as part of that, you cannot partake of the sacrament, which is, others call it communion, uh, the bread and yeah. water. It is not wine, sadly. Mormons cannot drink at all, even if it's communion. Whoa, I didn't know that. Wait, you didn't know that they use water? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's really and gross. I'm, I'm offended. <laughs> Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. He said, drink of my blood, not drink of my water. This is outrageous. <laughs> At least diet red. Yeah. Yeah, they, put a couple red drops of food coloring in there. They pass it around. That's like the main event of sacrament meaning where it's like usually the first hour of church or the, the last hour of church. And you um, you sit in the aisles and the, the young men come around, which also if – this young man has just admitted to masturbating. He's not allowed to pass the sacrament, which his friends will know. Like, why aren't you passing the sacrament? I'm not worthy. Public shaming again. <laughs> his so, hands have been touching unclean things. And they people. cannot touch the body and blood of Christ. So <laughs> so then when they walk down the aisles, they hand it to, like, the pew. Like, the person sitting on the edge of the pew, they say, here's the thing. Actually, they can't say anything. It's completely quiet and really awkward. So they give it. They give you the little tray and they pass it down the row and then you pass it back. So if you're somewhere in the middle and you have been disciplined, you can't take it. You have to do the shame grab and pass over yourself. Yeah. And everyone looks and goes, why isn't she taking the sacrament? And everyone's first thought yeah. is they cheated on their spouse. They yeah. did something horrible, evaded taxes, didn't pay their tithing. I don't know. But it could be as simple as you were drinking coffee and the bishop said you need to stop taking the sacrament for a while. It depends. The severity of the punishment depends on the bishop. It's bishop roulette. So the punishment thing as far as public shaming is very real. And the same goes for if you um, – I think disfellowshipped is when – it's a greater punishment from just not taking the sacrament. It means that you can't even give prayers anytime they ask someone to give a prayer, which is like three times a meeting. You can't give a prayer. <laughs> you can't bless a baby. So if you just had a baby and you were caught watching porn, you cannot be the person to bless your baby in sacrament meeting, which is a really big deal. Another public shaming thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, going to the temple. So if your daughter gets married, you can't go see your daughter get married because you've been watching porn. All of that. So then there's the excommunication, which you guys have also, where you have to go to, they call it a disciplinary council, and you have to sit in front of a group of men and plead your case as to why you still want to be a member of the church. But more times than not, they've already decided you're getting kicked out. And then you have to repent for however long they say. It's usually like a year. And then you have to get rebaptized. So that's another <laughs> public oh. shaming thing. You definitely don't want to associate with people who've been excommunicated because they might drag you down to hell or out of darkness. Yeah. So that that is the equivalent to our disfellowshipping. The And... Yeah, the witnesses wouldn't call it excommunication, but that, that, that is what it is. And yeah, it's the same process. Um, so for me, I was disfellowshipped for apostasy. And so mm. I was, I was interviewed by, interviewed is a kind word. I was interrogated by yeah. three, uh, you know, elders who I'd known for a long time. And they ask you very personal and accusatory questions. And they've obviously, you know, decided your guilt going in. And it's kind of a matter of, well, how bad is this going to be <laughs> for you? Yeah. And then it's announced. So like for me, I, I was found guilty, 
pled guilty. Yeah. I, I did it. I did the apostasy I did things. <laughs> I did. I did it. I do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So they announce to the congregation, uh, you know, Jacob Kreitz is no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And then that just everybody knows. We don't talk to this guy anymore. Well, it, it is a uh, it's a hard rule, and so. It, but if let's say you're not me, let's say you're somebody who was disfellowshipped for uh, like infidelity or, or fornication or whatever the word they use, having sex or viewing pornography too many times, or like watching gay porn. One of the weirder things about Jehovah's Witnesses in the Elder Book is there are like gradations of acceptable and extra abhorrent pornography so like if you're watching like vanilla straight guy on girl porn that is not as bad as watching like gay porn or anything else which is very strange you'll not find that in the bible i I don't think (laughs) but they've figured out you know how much god cares about what you're looking at. Mm. So sometimes people are just a fellowship because they watched like the wrong kind of porn or something. And so if you want to come back, right, like you want to be reinstated as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, you still can go to the meetings. In fact, you are required to if you want to get your privileges back and be reinstated. Um, but generally, uh, people come in kind of towards the end of the opening song and prayer so that they're not approached by anybody because then the awkward thing, the shame thing happens of, you know, let's say somebody comes up to you and is like, Hey, how's it going? You have to be like, I'm just fellowship. I'm sorry. And they go, Oh, and you just keep walking and they walk to their seat. They sit quietly. They cannot comment and they leave as soon as the meeting's over. Uh, And that is what they are encouraged to do. So it's not awkward for anybody else. And uh, you have to do that usually for six months to a year. uh, And you have to write, to the elders, like, oh, I'm so sorry, brother, so and so, I'm not watching this anymore. And I've been doing this, this, and this. Can I please be reinstated mm-hmm. and have a meeting with you? Um, and then if you're reinstated, then they act like nothing ever happened and everything's normal. <laughs> yeah. And then if you're disfellowshipped, like you were saying, you have to shun or not associate with people who are disfellowshipped. So there was a video on your page where it was – I think it was a daughter and she was disfellowshipped and she was just trying to get a hold of her parents and the parents would look at each other when the phone rang and they're like, we can't answer it. And then she was like, I just want to talk to my family. I just want to, you know, I want them to know what I'm doing. Do they even care if I'm okay? And the parents are like, this is so hard. And then the whole point of the video was shunning is hard, but it's because you love them. And I was just like, It's hard for the witness part of the family. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the worst things they've ever produced, which Elise is talking about is a piece of media that was produced by the organization on purpose. And they have it on the website for all to see. And it is a point of view of somebody who is disfellowshipped talking about how much they appreciate disfellowshipping. Sonia Erickson has been disfellowshipped. It crushed my whole family. I didn't even care that my parents' hearts were breaking. I didn't think about the devastation and disappointment that I had caused them. My family missed me so much. Even after all I had done, Jehovah directly judged two of Aaron's sons and put them to death. In this case, Jehovah asked Aaron and his family not to mourn in order to show the entire nation that they supported Jehovah's judgment. Mom and dad saw that they needed to be loyal, just like Aaron. 
I tried to contact them. I just wanted to talk and to hear their voice. I missed being with my family. And they thought about reaching out to me. But they knew that if they had associated with me, even a little, just to check on me, that small dose of association might have satisfied me. This is what Jehovah wants for them. The loving thing to do is to shun them. And so that is what, like, that's what my parents think is that, you know, the reason why they don't talk to me, I haven't heard from my sister in like well over a year at this point. Uh, it's because they think that this will get me to come back, uh, because they think that's what God wants them to do. And, uh, anything like any negative things that I feel, they truly are baffled by the fact that I bring this up. Mm-hmm. Like when I try and talk to my parents about how much it hurts me, they're like, but you, but you got this fellowship dummy. Of course. Duh. <laughs> you know, from their perspective, it's like, no, no, you hurt us. You got this fellowship. And now we have to shun you. That's really hard for us. Yeah. Whereas I'm thinking like, no, you don't actually have to. I just don't want to be in the religion anymore. You could just, we could talk about other things. Yeah. Um, but I think that's important to remember, you know, for the members, they view it as something that happened to them when one of their family members gets a fellowship. Mm-hmm. You know, fuck the person who got this fellowship and whatever their harm is. Where the pro- where this problem arises is victims of abuse within the organization. You know, sometimes uh, victims of sexual assault, rape, CSA have been disfellowshipped, essentially being blamed for their own Ugh. assault. Because it is viewed as fornication or something. Yeah. So then they're disfellowshipped too, right? Um, and wow. that person may never come back because of their horrible experiences with the witnesses. But the person who did the abuse usually does come back <laughs> because who else is going to take them? So, you know, you have a lot of abusers that get reinstated and abuse victims who stay out forever. And, uh, yeah, it's one of the many fun little issues the organization creates for itself Mm -hmm. that's awful there's been cases especially when i released the episode uh talking all about sex and like the distortions that it creates purity culture a lot of people messaging me directly and commenting saying yeah my bishop told me i had to repent for being raped and it's really 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 awful and no one should ever have to deal with that Going through the trauma is hard enough. Being blamed for the trauma is just next level and it's not okay. And when it comes to the other members thinking that that's righteous, that it's okay for all of that judgment, that's where it's really difficult because I wanted to talk about thought stopping and how, for example, your parents, you were saying they just, that's how they think because why would they think any differently? And it's because of this environment that they are a part of that doesn't allow them to use critical thinking to really sit down and dissect it from a different perspective and think to themselves, hold on, this is our son. We do love him. Maybe we should just talk to him and see how he's doing. So let's talk about the thought stopping in Jehovah's Witnesses and the way that they get you to not look into the information or see things from a different perspective. Yeah. Um, th- there's a lot of things. Um, the The first thing, and I think uh, I've been working on some, on some scripts for things that are about conspiracy theories and not necessarily cults, right? But one of the things that I think you find in common with all cults, high control groups, 
conspiracy theories, whatever it is, from, you know, QAnon to Jehovah's Witnesses is, one of the first things they will do is instill complete distrust in the media, mm-hmm. um, any kind of media. You know, there's a difference between saying, don't believe everything you read in the news and don't believe anything you read in the news. Right. That is negative about us. Right. And so that's kind of one of the main talking points that the witness religious leaders hit now is there are lies being spread about us in the media. And for the most part, they don't say what the lies are because there really aren't a bunch of lies about witnesses in the media. You know, to the extent that there are misconceptions in the media, it might be that like, oh, they don't believe in Jesus. But, you know, they do. He's just not very important. right? But that's not so bad. That's something that a witness would feel uh, happy to, to correct. The thing that they don't want people to look up is that there's a lot of lawsuits right now from victims of CSA in the group. And the group, uh, the, the policy of Jehovah's Witnesses is... If, uh, if an elder is approached by a victim of uh, child sexual abuse, the, the first person that the elder calls is the branch, the branch office of Jehovah's Witnesses, not the police. Mm-hmm. You call the branch, the branch determines whether or not you report it. Wow. Same with And nine times out of ten, yeah, and nine times out of ten, the answer is no. Because usually they can find a way to get out of it. Um, so that's like that's what's act. That's the actual controversy for the most part that like happens in the media. But if you're a witness, what you're hearing is oh, there's a bunch of lies about us in the media, and then you hear something negative. So there's a lot of litigation happening in, in Washington State right now. So if you're in Washington State and you see the local newspaper and you're seeing all this negative stuff about Joe's witnesses, your first thought is. Aha, that must be one of those lies that I've heard about because that sounds negative. And if it's negative, it must be fake. And what another thing they do is constantly conflate negative reporting with false reporting so that to a witness, if it is negative, it is necessarily false. Yeah. So that's the first thing that I, that comes to mind to me. Uh, right now, they are really at war with <laughs> the media, the internet, social media, anything that can get out accurate information. To the point where recently a governing body member was announced on the official website as no longer being a governing body member. And a lot of witnesses didn't believe it. They thought that's not true. That sounds apostate until they were sent a link to it. Oh, and no. then on the official website, and they thought, oh, well, it must not be a big thing. It was probably because he's old or something. Oh, right. Gosh, so the they're so distrustful example. of anything negative. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. But that was it. That's my long tangent. No, I loved it. That's just, that's the perfect example. That actually reminds me of another thing where, where the SEC just fined the Mormon Church $5 million because guess what? They were creating shell companies and hiding their money because they didn't want to report it. Guess what? You can't do that. Can't do so it. they were fined $5 million. And I guarantee you there are people believing Mormons who still think that that is not true because how could it be true? How could, how could it be? God's organization lie, take their money, and use it in ways that they shouldn't? But that's just – that's an example of – Manipulating their emotions. So the church is famous for 
if it feels good, it's of the Lord. If it feels bad, it's of Satan. And mm. I don't know, spoiler alert, you're going to get bad feelings for things that are bad, that are actually bad, has nothing to do with Satan. Just like, hey, I don't like that the church was hiding their money. They were hiding the money that I personally gave. I'm required to give 10% of my income if I want to be a member in good standing. They're using my money in not godly ways, in ungodly ways. And yes. that makes me feel yes. bad. Does that mean it's of Satan? No, it means that something bad happened and it's okay to have uneasy feelings because that's our warning system going off in our brain saying, hey, something's not right. You should look into this. And you have to be able to yeah. follow those feelings without automatically placing a God or Satan label on them. And I think that's what you're saying is the thought stopping happens when if something doesn't feel right, it must not be true. Yeah, the... um. The like general cycle, I'm not the f person who, uh, I, I've read this somewhere and I'll probably butcher it, but it's, it sort of goes like, they didn't say that. If they did say it, you misinterpreted what they meant. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you did understand it, then that means that it's not that big of a deal. And if it is that big of a deal, then God knows about it and he's taking care of it. And this is just proof that we need to stick <laughs> to him even closer. Yeah. So there's no way that the organization can ever be wrong about anything. Yep. <laughs> and that's a very comforting position to be in. It's, it's nice to think that you're never wrong about shit. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, <laughs> they are. And so a lot of the, um, like the circular reasoning that you get and like thought stopping cliches is, um, I might have mentioned this actually when I was here last week. I don't remember, but like my thing, I keep on meaning to make a video about this is, um, in the garden of Eden, Satan asked Eve, is it really so that you'll die if you eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil or whatever the fuck it was? And so what witness leadership says is, uh, so you look at what Satan's original challenge to Jehovah was, is it really so? So that is what satanic people do, is they ask questions oh, like that. So when I would be talking to my parents and say like, yeah, but I don't think that's really true. I mean, they say that they're like appointed in 1919, but like, how could we possibly know that? Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, you sound like Satan because he would ask, is it really so? Now, that doesn't make any sense at all because by that logic, you'd never be able to ask a question about anything. And of course, what are you doing as a witness? You're going to their door and saying, you know, many religions teach that God is a trinity, but is that really so? Let's look at what the Bible says. You know, it's all, it's all, is it really so? Yeah. <laughs> but if you're asking the question to leave them to the organization, it's fine. Um, but that, that's one of my, real ugh, fixations is that particular line of reasoning because it is literally do not ask questions. Yeah. And not only don't ask questions, but they also give you wrong information. Yeah. And actually lie to you about things. And then if you bring it up, they're like, oh, we didn't say that. <laughs> well, we have records that you did. And then just like you said, it goes down that rabbit hole of, well, if we did say that, it was a different time. And if it wasn't a different time, a different then it's what God time. wanted and he changed his mind and God can change his mind. He's God. And we're like, well, why? Like, why do I want to follow a God that changes his mind then on something on something as important as, for example, in the Mormon case, allowing black people to have the priesthood and go to the temple and yeah. go to the heaven. It's like, well, it was the 70s. I'm pretty sure it wasn't yeah. just the time. So <laughs> unless God is super racist, 
it's you guys. You messed up. And then they will not apologize because in their minds, they did nothing wrong. The other thing, I don't know if your leaders do this, but a big part of Jehovah's Witness theology is based around perfection and imperfection. Oh, yes. This is never... This is never stated in the Bible that Adam and Eve were perfect or what that would even mean, but it is just taken as a given that Adam and Eve were perfect and that mankind fell from perfection. Yeah. So yeah. what the leaders do a lot is they'll say, we are imperfect. And this oh, gives them stop. carte blanche to do whatever because, yeah, yeah, anytime they do anything that might seem unsavory or that. You know, you hear about third hand. That sounds kind of bad. You're like, well, they're imperfect. They never claim to be perfect. Oh, my gosh. You may Which is an as insane well. line of reasoning because, <laughs> yeah, nobody claims to be perfect. That's not a rebuttal to anything anyone's ever said. You may as well be just in Mormonism because it's exactly the <laughs> same. Because they say. Except then I'd have a college degree, maybe. <laughs> yeah. They say, <laughs> you know what? Uh, Brigham Young was not perfect and he did things that were not great and we're like yeah like blood atonement where he's encouraging people to slit other people's throats so that they can be saved <sighs> not great it's not a great thing and then we say why would god allow someone to lead his only true church by yeah. a crazy racist pedophile manic man who is making these crazy claims and they say well Nobody's perfect. And the people aren't perfect, but the church is. I'm like, but the church is the people. The church is comprised of the prophets who yes. receive re revelation directly from God. And if they're not, if if we can't rely on their revelation to be correct, if we can just at any time say, well, they were speaking as a man, not as a prophet, then how can we trust anything that comes out of their mouth? Yeah. A really... A friend brought this up to me as a really interesting example of this, this governing body member who is recently um, removed for, for whatever reason. Um, if His name is Anthony Morris. So if on Tuesday, a Jehovah's Witness said, I don't think Anthony Morris should be a governing body member, that person would be told that is – you're getting pulled into the back room with the elders. You know, talk like that. These are our brothers. They were appointed by God. You know, yeah. how dare you? We have to be humble. We have to listen to the men that Jehovah has appointed. Now, on Wednesday, when you refresh JW.org, and it turns out he's removed, if you said that, turns out, actually, you were right. <laughs> and he shouldn't be. Yeah. But you wouldn't have been able to say that the previous day. So the thing that I always point to when it comes to, well, it was a different time, which one of the more infuriating interactions I had with my dad was, and I think this is a good example of thought stopping cliches was I said, I, I find it completely inappropriate that we preach that we're the only group that's going to survive Armageddon. And my dad said, we do not teach that. I said, of course we do. He's like, show me, show me where. So I pull him up a quote. It's from a 1989 watchtower. It says very clearly only Jehovah's witnesses, blah, blah, blah. He says, 1980, that was written before you were born. <laughs> I pulled it up from the official website. I Googled, you know, the, the organization. So why is it there if I'm not supposed to believe that it's true? Yeah. And so the trajectory was, we don't teach that. Okay, we do, but it was a long time ago. Okay, but even if we do still teach it, I don't believe that oh my to gosh, necessarily be true. Yeah. And so it is it is never, ever, ever appropriate to vocalize disagreement. Yeah. Because the group apparently can be wrong, but it is wrong for you to say that it was ever wrong. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, they just impossible. They just gaslight you and say, well, we never said that. And now with the internet age, it's it's a blessing and it's a curse. The blessing part is there's so much information to look into. The curse part is they can change their website yeah. on a whim and it's like they never said it. Oh, yeah. And they never date anything on the website because they don't want you to know like when things have been changed and altered. Oh, man. Well, guess the fuck what? They took the announcement that the guy was removed off of the website. <gasps> so there are people who didn't see it who are now only hearing about it third hand from other witnesses oh. that now think, well, I don't know if that's true because it's not on the website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. It's a really, it's been a really interesting uh, case study in cognitive dissonance of like, I know that you're saying that you saw this on the website, but because I can't look at it, I don't know if I can trust you. Yeah. You know, it's all just completely, but all of it is divorced from what do I think? Let yeah. me look at the, evidence and information and make my own conclusions it's all completely separated from that because that's not appropriate and but you just you don't think of yourself as being um a blind follower but you literally are you're waiting to get your marching orders you're like i don't know what to think about this yet because they haven't told me yeah it's hard and that's what happens when you have information control where they won't believe it unless it's on an approved source and I think that's the first thing that should be the first red flag. If the organization that you're in tells you you can't look anywhere but the approved sources, there's a good chance they're hiding something from you or they don't want you to find something that they have omitted in telling you. So keeping everyone in this little information bubble is going to make them, what do they say? Doubt your doubts so that you even question yourself. Doubt you your question doubts. your sanity. Uh you have to look to them for everything. But if they mess up, they're imperfect people and good thing for personal revelation, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. And the last thing that I want to talk about and like we don't have a ton of time, but just the exploitation, like yeah, what they require their members to do. So we have tithing. We have you are um, as, as far as I'm aware in the temple, you say that you will give your time, talents, and energy to the church, which can in some cases mean mm. property. They're knocking down people's doors who are elderly, especially during COVID. I saw a letter that they had sent out to them saying, hey, if you haven't already, sign over your property to the church in your will. They're literally asking people for their property. And even just the labor, like cleaning the churches, they they have hundreds of billions of dollars. And the church members have to clean the chapels and have to like i remember doing that as a kid you would get your assignment and you would go clean so free oh, yeah. labor just all of that is so infuriating so i want to know if it's the same with yours it is absolutely the same i started laughing because i <laughs> there was a talk that was i think given last year by one of the governing body members that was just talking about like you got to get the kids involved in the cleaning. They have a ball. Oh, <laughs> that turn of phrase. I, I was like watching that on a stream and like I lost my mind. I was like, they do not. I hated it. <laughs> hated it. Felt guilty that I hated it. But yeah. nobody likes to clean their room. And you definitely don't like it when it's not your room. Yeah. It's just this building that you have to go to and that you're told you have to clean. You know, it the, the exploitation of labor is, is a really big problem. And I think I had a real moment uh, that uh, – this is exclusive. 
Exclusive revelation. Exclusive Exclusive flashback to my uh, waking up journey. This is a long time before I I ended up realizing that I was in a, you know, a high control religion. But I I had the immense privilege of, of helping with the building of the new Jehovah's Witness World Headquarters in Warwick, New York. This was seen as a big deal. It's like you get to help build the tabernacle, right? This uh-huh. is Jehovah's center of worship on earth. So it was seen as a huge deal. And everything that's, you know, positive about, about the religion is is obviously miraculous. You know, only in God's organization could such and such happen. And I remember being impressed because there were thousands of workers there on this massive project. Lunch was, you know, only an hour. And you're like, well, how are they going to feed all these workers in enough time? And it happened. And I was thinking like, man, this is how you know Jehovah's blessing this project. Because how else could you get all these people here organized and doing this for no money? Well, I guess unless we just all really, really believe it. (laughs) And I remember feeling so guilty that I thought that. (laughs) But I never forgot that I had that thought, you know, because the reality is... No, it's actually not miraculous when a bunch of people believe in a thing that they do something about it. That happens all the time, actually. Um, and what makes a lot of people feel resentful is that, you know, I really did spend a lot of time doing manual labor for the organization. Now, if you're watching the YouTube channel, I'm not a guy who I, I don't work with my hands too often <laughs> other than if it's not touching a video game controller or like, uh, you know, a pencil to do drawing. I, I'm not that guy, but I did a lot of like construction labor for this group because I was Whoa. like, well, this is what God wants me to do. And it really did feel great while doing it because it turns out like working with other human beings towards a common goal is just kind of a good feeling. Um, but why it is an issue is because it is exploitative. They are <laughs> building these properties for free, basically, and then they get to sell it for however many millions of dollars. Whoa. Um, so this is their whole grift. They get people to build buildings for basically no money, free labor, free everything. And then they get to sell it to Burger King or whoever else, you know? Wow. Um, and this is just the kind of thing that you wish you could shake people in the religion and say, like, don't spend your Saturday doing a cost analysis of your kingdom hall. It's, <laughs> I don't know, all this shit. So they don't require you to pay tithing, but oh, they expect you to give free labor, which in turn gives gets them money. So they get their money somehow. Yeah, and also, yeah, they do definitely want you to give money. They just like released like within a couple days of each other on the website two different talks about how important it is to give money. So what they like to do is like, we don't have mandatory tithing, but if you really love Jehovah, you got to give them money. <laughs> and they just don't, you know, they don't have, they, they don't like have a review come tax season where they make sure you've given a certain amount. But they ask you usually once a year, like how much are you willing to give to the organization every month? Can we count on you for that? So it's like, yeah, you are required to give money if you want to be in good standing. Um, it's just that the only person who's ever going to feel guilty about it is you because you're the only person who knows. But they do a really good job of making sure you feel guilty if you don't give. Yeah. Did you know that Mormons actually do have a year-end review where they I do find out if you're giving enough money, 10%? <laughs> That's why I brought it up yeah. is because when I, when I learned about that, I'm like, 
how could because I had that moment that I'm sure other people have listening to podcasts like this where I'm like, well, how could you not realize it's uh, called you know fake <laughs> religion when they do that? But then I have to think, well, I used to think you some build pretty buildings. crazy things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just don't know what you don't know. Yeah, it's it's tricky, and. The last thing is just exploiting talents. They find out that someone has a talent and then they say, we're going to use that because we need talented people. And they frame it in a way that's like, wow, isn't it amazing that God gave you this talent so that you could give it to everybody in the church? And it makes you feel good in the moment until you realize, wait, I'm spending all of my time and effort giving and not really receiving anything for it except for warm and fuzzies yeah and you know like i i experienced that in the churches i i liked to uh draw i and i liked to uh write and so my parents always say well you look at all the pictures in the magazines apply to bethel go to bethel use your use your gift and the other the other thing is as a witness and i'm sure it's the case of with with heaven and the mormons like well you get to do whatever you want once you make it into the new system for jehovah's witnesses right so a lot of the depictions of paradise uh for jehovah's witnesses are like people finally like they can dedicate their life to playing the violin they can paint a mural they can build all the cool buildings they want instead of just working for the man whereas it's like so you have all these generations of people and this is what you know drives me and makes me really resentful is that you know generations of my family there's a lot of really talented people in my family really like funny smart talented people really artistic people and they all lived their entire lives and eventually died thinking but eventually i'll get to paradise and i'll get to do what i love then i just have to give it up now Mm. And the idea of doing what you want now is viewed as is viewed as purely selfish. So, you know, now just by me wanting to live my own life, my parents view me as just a purely selfish, self-absorbed person. And they are right. But also, <laughs> I, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just for that, right? So I, I think that's what is the tragedy of it is you have a lot of people give up their dreams or live a much lesser, more curated version of it than uh, than they otherwise would you know like i'm sure the people who play music for the jehovah's witness uh, songs are really happy that they get to play music for a living i'm also pretty sure that they would probably like to play with the philharmonic and join a band and write their own music and be able to record it and not be shunned from the organization so yeah, maybe you get to do a version of what you like, but it's just not its not what you're really passionate about. It's restricted, which reminds me, you had a really awesome comment on the video that we did on your channel, and I hadn't even thought it. about it. Yeah, I was going to have you read it, where she's just talking about how I wanted to go to fashion school, and when I told my bishop, he said, oh, that's so great that we're going to have a Mormon designing clothes because you can design modest clothes. And I was like, who said I'm (laughs) going to do that? Like, that's dumb. So do you still have that pulled up? I would love to feature that comment. I do. It's great. Uh, This was Eric Harris, and this was on uh, the video on my channel. So, Eric, if you waited two months for you to hear your comment, right? (laughs) (laughs) Your, uh, Your patience has been rewarded. 
He said, it makes my blood boil when I hear Shalise tell how the bishop basically tried to claim her talent for the church. When I got accepted into a prestigious ballet academy, the bishop immediately called to tell me it was my missionary calling. I was being sent on my own unique mission for the church to spread the gospel through my talent. Good thing there is a vibrant and affirming community waiting for me that would challenge me to investigate everything in order to expand my talent rather than tailor it to fit an agenda. And that last part is what I was thinking of when it's like, okay, so this, maybe this person got to dance for the church, but that's not really, you know, you would have to tailor your dream to, to fit an agenda. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally tailor my clothes to have sleeves (laughs) instead of being a spaghetti strap. (laughs) Right. And like my, I had the experience of, you know, I, I would come home and I would draw, um, Actually, here, I'll do a YouTube exclusive for you. Ready for Ooh, this? Let's see ready. if I can get it on camera. So I liked to, to do art and all everything. and But I loved to just always draw really disturbing, weird <laughs> stuff <laughs> that was dark. Uh, like any angsty teenager, right? You want to just you know, draw edgy stuff in, in your notebook. So I drew this thing. I don't know if it'll really come through on camera, but it is people in a factory with business suits on and no faces getting their brains taken out by machines they (laughs) they're being brainwashed (laughs) they're being brainwashed now i drew this when i was a senior in high school and it seems very seems very freudian in hindsight right but i would take this stuff home to my parents i'd be so proud because i'm like oh i've been working on my perspective i feel like i really got it right they'd be like well, I just don't understand why you can't draw something nice. I mean, can you can't you draw the paradise? Can't Aww. you draw something cute? Our dog, you know, that's what Bethel wants to see. And so, you know, I got to do. I, I, you can always draw as a hobby for fun, but if you ever want to feel good about it, you usually can't do it in a high control <laughs> religion. Mm. So that was my experience. Was like drawing something that I'm proud of and being told by my parents. Uh, well, are you okay? Are you are you sad? Because you should draw happy things for us to be Ugh, really I proud of. I don't you. like that at all, Linda. Listen, I'm gonna draw what I want to draw, <laughs> and I'm gonna use my talents the way I want to use my talents, the way that I feel inspired to use my talents. Because I believe that if there is God, He, She, They gave me these talents to be inspired and to follow those inspirations and follow those desires, which is why I have my tagline at the end, which you guys probably know. So do you have a Linda lesson? Oh, I do have a Linda lesson, I think. But you know what's amazing is I remember being a witness and having witnesses say like, I I just know that Paul McCartney will be resurrected in paradise. Or John Lennon. He's Paul McCartney's not dead. John Lennon is going to be resurrected in paradise because, I mean, that music was just so good. <laughs> you know, when you hear really great music or you watch a really great movie or what, or you read a really incredible novel, you're not thinking as a witness, wow, well, this would have been good if it was about Jehovah. You're like, you're still moved by it. Yeah. And a part of you thinks, God understands that this person actually should be doing this because it's really impactful to me. So like when you, when you like experience art that impacts you as a member, like you're glad for it and you're glad that there are people who aren't witnesses making stuff right. for you to enjoy because you, you surely must be aware that if everybody was a witness, you'd be hearing very boring songs, <laughs> watching terribly, terribly acted films, reading boringly written books. So I feel like 
the thing that drives me crazy about it is I feel like on some level, all these groups know that you need people who aren't in the group to make all this stuff. You just are, are benefiting off of it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that was my Linda lesson. <laughs> Listen, do your shit. People will appreciate it. And if they don't, um, then fuck them. Or you're bad at it. But probably fuck them, right? Well, that was amazing. I love it. <laughs> it was. It was a good time. Go follow Altworldly on his YouTube channel. Watch all his videos. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And go support him on Patreon. I'm going to put the link below. And do you have any final and thoughts? Support. I was going to say, for my final thought, support Shalice on Patreon. And uh, it's a this is a great show. I genuinely enjoy watching it because of the comment you you referenced earlier. I do make XJW videos, and I, I I've tried not to be as involved with like the Twitter and stuff of it all as as much because it can be too much to consume too much of it. But when I hear about tangential related experiences through through Mormons or through people who were, you know, in some of the other groups that you've talked about on the show, it allows me to engage with that without specifically um, re-engaging with my trauma. Yeah. So uh, I appreciate what you do. It's great. It's a great Thank show. You. Keep it up. I really appreciate that. I appreciate the support and I appreciate the camaraderie between channels. We can all lift each other up. Absolutely. And Synergy. Yeah, for everyone else watching, thank you so much for sticking around. Again, if you haven't watched the first video that we did, hop on over there now. I'll put it at the end screen. And until next time, follow your highest excitement and your talents. Be conscious and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at Colts to Consciousness or reach out by email at Colts to Consciousness at gmail.com.